0: Wow, wouldn't it be amazing? As a synagogue rabbi, you know I would, I'd done that for 20 years. I'm devoted to synagogues. I belong to two. <laughs> um, if we could unburden synagogues from the task of this thing that they do badly, and help them reimagine uh, ways of connecting with children and families that are that were not school-based, that's really what the vision was.
1: Welcome to Season 5 of 76 West, recorded appropriately in an office at the corner of West 76th Street and Amsterdam Avenue in New York City. In past years, you've heard conversations with some of the great thinkers of our time. This season, you're going to hear the voice of one of them, Rabbi Joy Levitt. Sometimes she'll be by herself, sometimes accompanied by the amazing people who helped make the program she shepherded a reality. Joy works, worked, best in collaboration with others, people who pushed her, prodded, who inspired her as much as she inspired them. That's going to be, is, her legacy to the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan, a spirit of positivity, of moving onward and upward, taking a simple idea, a Jewish community center, and elevating it beyond what anyone would use as their definition. Jewish Journeys, begun as the Jewish Journey Project, was an initiative designed to revolutionize Jewish education. It changed and morphed over the years, but its basic premise remained the same, a desire to ignite each child's spirit, engaging them in activities they love while connecting them with Jewish life and learning. Over the years, Jewish Journey brought children together to absorb the concepts, ideas, and traditions that are the building blocks of Jewish life. Under the leadership of Rabbi Lori Forman Jacobi, Jewish Journeys grew, adding a revolutionary online Hebrew learning program and an unforgettable off-the-bema B'nai Mitzvah experience. In this episode of 76 West, you'll hear Rabbi Joy Levitt discuss the beginnings of Jewish Journeys with Rabbi Lori Foreman jacoby and how a simple walk in the woods led to a whole new way of thinking about Jewish education.
0: When I became the executive director of what was then called the JCC in Manhattan. I asked at that time for a sabbatical. Sabbaticals are not common for uh, JCC execs, but my husband had a six-month sabbatical coming, and I wanted to be able to spend part of that time with him. So I asked as a condition of employment to have three months sabbatical. So then, as this... Date was approaching, and my husband had great plans. He was going to write a book, or he was going to do. You know, he had a whole lot of ideas about what he was going to do. I had none, and I only have an on switch and an off switch. I don't have a. I don't have that other thing that other people have. And so I was pretty sure that I was going to waste three months playing Spider Solitaire because I couldn't figure out, like, what do you do if you're not working? And um, this is a famous story, but I, I, ha- I took a walk with a friend of mine, Carol Smokler, in the Berkshire. She's, a, she's in a former life, a therapist. And, um, and I was describing this concern, and she provoked me with a single question, um, which was, as you face the last chapter of your career, what's the one thing that you're going to be really unhappy about if it's still a mess when you leave? And I said, Hebrew school. And she said, Well, fix it. First, I, I, I went off and, and spent three months. And what I did in those three months is write a, what, what I've been calling a white paper, it's still around someplace. Lori has it. I liked it. It doesn't bear that much relationship to what ha- actually happened, but it was it was really, really, really fun to write because for the first time I had lots of time to write and lots of time to get it all right. I traveled the country interviewing parents and teachers and educators. I spent time at Bank Street talking to people about the child brain, um, how people learn, uh, what we really want Out of Jewish education, I talked to synagogues, I talked to rabbis, I talked to as many people as I could find. And then I started raising some money, you know, to to sort of develop this model. And that project included hiring a project director, who was Rabbi Sid Schwartz, who I hired as a consultant. And we invited six synagogues, and they all said yes. That was BJ, SAJ. Habonim, East End Temple, Park Avenue Synagogue, and Temple Emanuel. And those were the six synagogues that were paid $10,000 apiece to participate in the project. And the requirement was that their rabbi, their educator, and the president of their synagogue, or the chair of their education committee, um, had to attend the monthly Meetings in which we were hammering out the sort of details of of what became the Jewish Journey Project, and we were off. And then the next job was to find somebody to run this because I was like still running a gym and a pool, and um, and I'm not an educator. I mean, fundamentally, I'm I'm not an educator. And um, there were there were there were times when. The person we hired and I would butt heads because she would explain to me that this is not how children learn. You know, if you can't repeat things twelve times, then they're not going to get it. Yes. And you know that was that was a big lesson for me to learn. She had to say that many times for me to <laughs> learn it as well. But anyway, there was a there was a pretty competitive interview process, and um, and I always felt like we were incredibly lucky to find Rabbi Lori Foreman Jacoby. She was experienced. She was not a kid. Um, she she had worked in multiple educational settings, so she had, like, real diversity. And she is a rare in the sense that she, she is a person who gets those trains out on time. She's a highly competent administrator um, with a really deep creative spirit. And that's unusual to find. You know, usually you get, like, Incredibly creative people who can't administer themselves out of a paper bag,
2: or the opposite. And I think in Lori, we we got both.
1: Rabbi Lori Foreman Jacoby.
2: I think it's important to note, just for a moment, that there was, you know, um, that this was an opportunity to bring Jewish education to the Upper West Side among many synagogues, to share Jewish education, and for synagogues, in essence, to give up a little piece. Um, of their hold on their own students and their families and, and to build something that would be shared. This was also tried back in the 80s when I ran a different institution called the West Side Jewish Community School. And I just think for purposes of history, I want to say that that was um, also a joint attempt to bring three synagogues together. It lasted, I mean, it did last for like 10 years, but it was a traditional it was, a, it was an attempt to replicate what was traditional Hebrew school was just for three, what was at the time very small, synagogues. This was an attempt to change radically people's approach to Jewish education. I did not want to recreate a classroom where children uh, sat around and sort of had to break their teeth in pronouncing Hebrew, and ten other children had to listen to one another, um, you know, take this task on. Oh, you know, I too was facing, um, when the position became available, kind of an opportunity in my life to go back and to um, build something anew. I had worked, like you said, in many different educational um, settings, but none of them were something that I built with a visionary, and you were the visionary I was looking to work with. And I had worked in uh, Hebrew high school settings, I had worked with adults, I had worked with children, but here was an opportunity to create something with somebody who had big hopes and big dreams and money to put behind it. And you just do not find that in life. You just don't find this opportunity. For the first five years, where we did have a cooperative program between uh, JCC Manhattan S.A.J., B'nai Jeshwin, and Habonim, we were able to put after-school programming and, and in these Jewish after-school programming in all these synagogue locations, and children across these synagogues went to these classes together. And it failed in
0: that regard. My dream was to say to synagogues, stop doing what you do least well, right? You all have acknowledged in this process that your Hebrew schools are... Are mediocre at best, and that people don't like going to them, and that children are not learning for the most part in them. Um, and your reluctance to give them up has to do with the fact it has an economic piece to it, which is that people may not join synagogues if they if they're not required to go to your Hebrew school and and you've required them to go to your Hebrew school in order to have a bar mitzvah. So there's like a little blackmail going on here, right? If you knew that you could have a bar mitzvah without going to Hebrew school,
2: most people would choose not to go to Hebrew school, but that's not the deal, right? The synagogues for the last five years have taken back, let's just say, the core Jewish educational programming, but they have now created programs where the family is at the center, and where the f- and where, call it Hebrew school for lack of a better word, but for whatever the Jewish educational program it includes, it includes family havdalah, it includes, uh, you know, going on New York walks or historical walks of New York Jewish community, and it involves intergenerational learning. So I think so much of what we have the seeds that we planted ten years back have taken root today. And I think that this is really what's changed over the past 10 years is that the way families uh, prepare for and experience and celebrate bar and bat mitzvah has changed dramatically. And the numbers of families that are doing it in alternative ways outside the synagogue. So by saying off the bima, I'm trying to say to people, it's not in a synagogue. Um, And it's not. So we just had a ceremony at Camp Satoga in May, and we've had ceremonies here in the building. In the second year, I created Hebrew Homepage, which was an online platform for students to learn to, we call it decode, which is just to read. It doesn't mean understand, but to read Hebrew with a tutor one-on-one. And we were in a relationship with all these synagogues when this was created. So they put all of their students on Hebrew Homepage as the Hebrew program. They didn't give their families a choice and because of that we now have 500 kids on Hebrew Homepage and the relationship with the synagogues has, is sustained through Hebrew Homepage I continue to be the, quote unquote like the vendor of the Hebrew Homepage for those initial three synagogues and in addition we have another three or four synagogues who participate with us The most rewarding thing is to meet some amazing families, who have amazing children and who are very dedicated and are just struggling to find a way to connect and to connect their children in in a way that seems relevant and meaningful in the 21st century. And I have met people who whose children knew very little before they joined us, and when they celebrate their bar and bar mitzvah, and they speak. What they are able to communicate and what they are able to um, think through um, in a creative way is it, just amazing.
1: 76 West is a presentation of the Marlene and JCC Manhattan. The series was produced and edited by me, Eric Winnick. Our theme music was written and performed by Peril Wolfe. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out the other seasons of 76 West, available on iTunes, Google Play, and anywhere else podcasts are available. You can also listen to our episodes at mmjccm.org slash 76-West. Please subscribe and give us a rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. Every little bit helps. Until next time, we'll see you around the neighborhood.